Hello, Mississippi and abroad, and welcome to Justify Your Existence, the podcast that talks SEC through the lens of Mississippi. I am Parrish Alford, the Ole Miss beat writer for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. I'm joined by our Mississippi State writer, Dalton Middleton. Lots to talk about in the program today. Dalton, how you doing, man? Parrish, I'm all right. I'm uh, a little tired right now. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Man, you, it sounds like you were involved in some election coverage last night. That wasn't you, was it? Wasn't me. <laughs> no, no, no election coverage for me, thankfully. Yeah, election coverage, man. It was like we got that that email that said all hands on deck. Uh, but uh, I think our news side did a fabulous job, and they were able to do it. Uh, uh, they, they didn't apparently didn't need me, didn't need you, didn't didn't give us a call last night. But uh, I was following along uh, on the. Uh, Daily Journal app, uh, watching those uh, results come in pretty quickly, and uh, we had the uh, the mayor's race in Tupelo called. I think about uh, an hour after the polls closed. So, uh, good job by our news folks. Uh, folks, want to thank uh, Oxford Park Commission, our partners, for coming along for the ride for the Justify Your Existence podcast and uh, the Ole Miss Facebook group, Ole Miss Discussion with Parrish Alford, and OPC is looking for lifeguards for the city pool for the summer. The season starts Memorial Day weekend and runs through Labor Day. Candidates must be at least 16 and have a current lifeguard certification. Contact Aquatics Director Jamie Chandler if you have questions. That's jamie at oxfordparkcommission.com, J-A-M-I-E at oxfordparkcommission.com. Dot com or just apply online at oxfordms.net. OPC is also providing summer day camp opportunities for area kids. It's a deal. Lots of educational opportunities and just plain fun. More information coming on that soon. Uh, Dalton, there was some uh, information coming out uh, this week on NCAA regional host sites uh, and super regional sites, national seeds. Uh, that is always uh, interesting conversation in the spring for uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss, both of them usually uh, in the mix for those things. And it's not uncommon for uh, both of them to host in the same season. Uh, but I saw, saw it reported from Kendall Rogers at D1Baseball.com and others that uh, the host sites will be announced now the week of May 10th. And uh, the thinking there is to give host sites uh, extra time to prepare for the COVID testing procedures uh, that will take place. But uh, just chew on that a little bit, man, and, and think about host sites announced uh, the week of May 10th. It doesn't say on May 10th, you know, so maybe, uh, you know, the, the days after. I think May 10th, May 10th is a Monday uh, this year. Uh, what kind of impact do you think that has on those decisions? Uh, I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact on the bigger schools, like the ones me and you are covering, State and Ole Miss. I still think it's going to be, you know, they're still going to be fine, I think. Uh, they, they, it, I think I read it was still merit-based, so it's basically the same thing. They're just doing it a few weeks earlier. Um, and so – you know, most of the schools that were already going to host or should host if they ha if they continue playing the way they are this season, you know, Vanderbilt, State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, they'll still host. And 
especially since both State and Ole Miss have two of the best venues in the country, um, they're not going to say no to one of those just because just because they want to give it to someone else. You know, it's um, – I think where this really is going to affect anybody is it's going to affect, like, those schools um, – like Southern Miss or La Tech, who may be around the verge of, you know, that, that 18, 19, 17 spot. And now all of a sudden they're having to uh, have this chosen earlier instead of possibly, you know, maybe winning their last 10 games or something, you know, sweeping through the ter- conference tournament and getting in that, that, that 11, 12 area. Um, when, when I'm talking about the top 16, obviously, um, and so I think that's who's going to be really the biggest affected because, you know, schools like Mississippi State and Ole Miss are going to get in. They're going to be hosting. Um, it's, it's going to be schools like that, I think, that are going to be hit the hardest from this. Yeah, but I wonder uh, if it impacts the possibility of State and Ole Miss both hosting. You know, are you, are you less likely to put a regional at both locations uh, in, in, this, uh, in this new development here? The, the schools you're talking about, look, uh, the NCAA now, uh, they're going to try to be fair or their version of it. And, um, you know, I think they're going to look at the hot CUSA team. I, th- I think that team gets strong consideration and, and maybe uh, at the expense of two regionals in the SEC so close together, I think they'll look at that team and maybe try to project it out. But it is going to be interesting in the sense that, uh, you know, there's, there's, less, uh, there's less a body of work for uh, the NCAA to consider, for the selection committee to consider. Now, obviously, they, they say it's going to be merit-based and, and they will consider the same criteria, but so often uh, the SEC tournament comes into play and you see teams, uh, as Ole Miss did in 2019, make that run, make a run there, win some games, and, uh, and that has an impact on uh, that hosting decision. I mean, I look back at that 2019 team with Ole Miss and uh, in the same situation, if the decision was made uh, on May 10th uh, back in 2019, they would probably, probably would have hosted, probably would have been okay. You know, they were 15 and nine in the conference at that time. But uh, it, it was after that that they lost five of their last six. You know, at, at 15 and nine, they were coming off winning that series at LSU, that really uh, bizarre game that uh, went so many innings there on Sunday and they ended up winning by a, a big uh, football kind of score. Um, gave up a six-run lead in the ninth, that, that kind of stuff. But they were 15 and nine at that point. Well, then they lost five of their last six. And – Honestly, you're only looking at two uh, two SEC series that uh, that won't be considered in, in the regular season. But uh, in 2019, uh, Ole Miss left Baton Rouge and they were swept at state. Then they lost two of three to uh, Tennessee, and uh, they got hot in the tournament. I think that made a big deal, made an impression with the committee because uh, the Rebels were just 16 and 14 in the SEC regular season. And that's real sketchy host territory at, at 16 and 14 um, with the regular season record. So conference tournament made a, uh, made a difference that year. Uh, obviously, that's not, uh, not in the works now uh, with this uh, changing landscape. But I, I look at, uh, at Ole Miss right now, uh, and let's say May 10 is the cutoff point. 
uh, May 10 comes on a Monday uh, right after the uh, right after Ole Miss plays at Texas A&M. Uh, if uh, if that's the cutoff point, uh, the Ole Miss SEC series that will be considered, uh, obviously the ones already played, then Arkansas, Mississippi State, LSU, South Carolina, Texas A&M, but the Vanderbilt series would not be considered. Uh, now, you know, uh, that's obviously you don't know who wins and loses at this point. That, that could break either way, but that's uh, a very difficult uh, opponent that would not come into consideration for this. We've spoken before about uh, the Ole Miss schedule and, you know, how, how daunting it looks in the conference standpoint, from a conference standpoint, when it includes Florida and Vanderbilt from the east but uh, not, uh, not Missouri. Uh, so anyway, what's, uh, what kind of impact do you think that has on state? Well, state schedule at that point will be the ones already played. So, you know, Arkansas, Kentucky, LSU, but they've got Auburn this weekend, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, and South Carolina. So they have a couple of those tough ones, uh, you know, Ole Miss, Ole Miss and Vanderbilt, especially. Um, but uh you know, I, I still just think, uh, you know, if, if these teams handle business against, you know, Texas A&M and Auburn and uh, South Carolina, and I think you mentioned Ole Miss playing A&M and South Carolina as well in that stretch, I think if both of them just handle business against the teams that they're supposed to handle, they, they should be, you know, they should both be awarded with the, uh, with the host site. And you, you mentioned a second ago um, – both of them being so close and how that could possible uh, possibly be a factor in both of them not hosting. I think if, if both of them don't host this season based off of the, how close, you know, they are to each other, then the NCAA is lying about it being merit-based because both, all both state and Ole Miss are, are too good to not host a regional. Um, I mean, it's very possible that both of them or one of them, you know, just does terrible down the stretch, you know, just loses it. You know, State could lose seven out or six out of the next seven series. Who knows? And, of course, they wouldn't host then. Ole Miss could do the same. You know, they won't host then. But as of right now, I mean, if they don't host, then the NCAA just screwed somebody right there. Yeah, and I uh, I would agree with that. that, But, you know, often uh, merit mm -hmm. is in the eye of the beholder, (laughs) you know, and uh, there's – you know, you can say it's merit-based, but there's going to be this effort uh, at, at fairness uh, as well. And I would agree that right now both uh, uh, Ole Miss uh, and State would be uh, considered hosts. Lots of baseball to play, and Ole Miss is going to have to play a lot of it uh, probably uh, without Tim Elko, who was injured uh, Tuesday night, excuse me, Monday, uh, Monday evening against uh, North Alabama. And uh, it looked bad, and I think uh, everybody who saw that or, or read a little bit about it was thinking ACL. And uh, Mike Bianco confirmed that uh, in the pregame before uh, Alcorn State uh, Tuesday that it is an ACL. But, you know, Dalton, we've heard about people who uh, have uh, played, uh, continue to play, or have done different things with an ACL. There are different levels of the ACL tear, and apparently they believe that they can rehab Tim Elko and get him back to a point that where he can maybe uh, uh, hit, uh, be the DH, something like that, which is uh, what they need from him more than anything else. And and look, uh, he was having a, a career year 
uh, for Tim Elko leading the SEC in RBIs and ranking number five nationally there. Seven doubles, nine home runs. That's a lot of power in the lineup that uh, that Ole Miss will be without for, you know, at least the next few weeks. Uh, he's not going to play this week against Arkansas or next week in Starkville. And then maybe they'll reevaluate and see if he can come back uh, as a DH. You know, it'll be a pain tolerance thing. Uh, you know, can he walk on it? Can he do these things? They think this is that level of ACL tear that uh, that they can uh, delay the surgery and uh, and and maybe maybe get Tim Elko back. But at that point, number one, number one, you don't know that you can get him back. Uh, number two. How effective can he be when he does come back? Um, maybe it works. I hope so uh, for Tim Elko. Uh, everybody was really, uh, you know, players, coaches really distraught for him uh, for the season that he was having to be uh, cut short like that. But uh, that's a that's a big loss in the Ole Miss lineup. You know, you don't hear Dalton baseball can be physical when you have a collision on the base path, which is uh, you know how Elko was hurt. Uh, you know, lots of times those occur at second base or home plate. But uh, anyway, it's just not that type of physical sport. You don't hear about uh, a, a big injury list every week, but it seems like Ole Miss has gotten that uh, more than they usually do this season. So far, starting out with uh, Peyton Chatagnier uh, with the hamstring in the opening weekend, uh, uh, then Doug Nikhazy, a weight room accident, a stretched muscle. You know, he missed uh, a couple of starts. Um, they were able to absorb the absence of Doug Nikhazy. They got some good pitching, and they were able to, uh, you know, to win uh, the starts that, uh, that he was not available. Uh, they absorbed uh, Peyton Chatagnier to an extent. Um, you know, I think the hamstring is still bothering him a little bit. We've seen that. Uh, you know, at times since he's come back, um, you know, and it just remains to be seen how consistent he hits uh, in the weeks ahead. I don't know how you absorb uh, the absence of Tim Elko. I, I think uh, on the whole, uh, the Ole Miss offense was just kind of average uh, right now anyway, ne needing more consistency, you know, from the bottom of the lineup or, or it seems like a lot of games we see the top hit or the bottom hit but not so many where they're hitting together. And uh, we see this team right now uh, that can put up a lot of big innings, like it had uh, a six-run inning against Alcorn last night, but do very little for so many other innings in the game. It's, it's hard to rely on that really big inning coming all the time. So uh, this was an offense that needed to work anyway. Uh, then you take out its best power bat, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Ole Miss absorbs that loss. Yeah, and hopefully he comes back, you know, fully healthy, better than he was. Um, but even, you know, I don't know the details of his, his injury. Like you mentioned, I don't know which leg it is. I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he's a lefty or a righty at the plate because um, I, I don't watch Ole Miss just that much. Um, but you know, the way the braces are made now and the technology with the braces and stuff, it's very possible that he could still come back and play for the rest of the season in a few weeks, um, which would be great for him. And even if he comes back, I feel like with maybe not full power as he was 
as he is right now or was right now. Um, you know, if he still comes and has even 75% of the power that he has right now, you know, he's still going to be one of the top home run hitters or best power hitters in the conference. I feel like this is how good of a, of a hitter he is. Um, so getting him back, if, if he can play, um, is going to be crucial for Ole Miss. And then, you know, I guess you also take into consideration what his thoughts are or what he's wanting to do professionally after Ole Miss, you know, if he, you know, if he plays a few weeks, he's not a full strength or he come, tries to come back in a few weeks. And he's not a full strength. Maybe he, you know, decides to have surgery and just go ahead and end the season for the professional baseball next year. But I think I read a few tweets yesterday that said that uh, people were saying that he didn't want to play professional baseball or something. I don't, I don't know, but uh, that seems like, I don't know. I feel like everybody wants to play professional baseball to some extent. Uh, if you're a baseball player, yeah. but you know, more power to him. If he, if he doesn't, I hope, uh, he come, I hope he comes back healthy regardless and uh, right. better than ever. Cause you know, he's too fun to, to see the, you know, to see the tweets. I haven't watched him in, in person, but to see the tweets of him hitting home run for home run for home run, it's a, uh, it's entertaining to watch. Well, he had a, a monster March. Uh, that's for sure. A national hitter of the, of the month uh, by the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association. Shifting gears a little bit, Dalton, let's talk about uh, NFL Draft. It's coming up uh, April 24th. Uh, uh, obviously, it wasn't a great year uh, for Mississippi State, but, uh, you know, who are their draft hopefuls? So who are the people they're watching? I think uh, so three players from Mississippi State were invited to the Combine, and that was Kylan Hill, uh, Errol Thompson, and Marquis Spencer, defensive lineman, Errol Thompson, the linebacker, Kylan Hill, obviously running back. Um, but I, I really think uh, for the actual draft, uh, probably only Kylan Hill and Errol Thompson. Um, Kylan Hill likely going to be late second day, maybe early third day uh, running back there. Um, they also haven't released their pro day numbers, so I'm not sure – uh, what's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there, but they never released any numbers from there. They didn't let any of us go and get our own numbers or anything. So we're just kind of lost in the dark at how some of these guys performed in pro day. Um, and then Errol Thompson, I figure will probably be a late second day or a late third day. I'm sorry. Um, that, that late rounds of the draft. And then if Marquis Spencer gets picked, um, he'll be, he'll be pretty late in the draft, but then you got guys like, Kobe Jones, defensive lineman, who it's possible, but not really on any draft boards right now. And then KJ Costello, who, uh, you know, could possibly get picked up, you know, after the draft. Um, I did see where this, the Saints said they like Costello. And, you know, as for me as a, as a Saints fan, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, please no, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> but well, I, guess- I think it's really just going to be Kyle and Hill. Yeah, I, I guess he did enough uh, at Stanford and uh, in his uh, opener at Mississippi State to uh, to impress the Saints. But uh, that that sounds yeah, like I guess a, so. yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 as a Saints fan, I'm I'm not all in there. Uh, I'm I'm very interested to uh, see how they handle this uh, uh, life after Drew Brees. How they handle that transition, and, and you know, I, I wish that they would. Uh, be able to uh, pull that off the way the Packers did going from uh, Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, there was, uh, uh, there was some drama there and some hurt feelings and some comments, but uh, they got through it and, and they uh, got an all pro quarterback there and Aaron Rodgers. I don't know uh, if, uh, 
you know, I, I don't know how it's going to work uh, with the Saints. We'll, we'll see. I know they got uh, a couple of uh, possibilities there on the roster, but I'm not, see, not seeing them making any moves. Uh, how do Mississippi State fans feel about Kylan Hill these days? Dalton, do they, uh, do they embrace him? Are they excited about what he accomplished during his time there? Uh, it was an unusual end uh, to his career there in Starkville. I think it's pretty torn down the middle, honestly, Parrish. Uh, you know, I, I did a story on him uh, for the pro day. After pro day, we talked to him, had a good talk. And, you know, I just – I kind of wrote a story about him and just about the impact he had, how, what he's been doing the last few months, and, and then the whole flag change thing. And people were just tweeting back at uh, – people were tweeting about me, uh, tweeting about him and tweeting about the story, talking about how it's, you know, it's kind of bull crap and all this stuff. And – how he doesn't, he was a quitter and stuff like that. And so I think it's pretty torn, but then you also have the people that actually, you know, that actually know how good of a player he was and, and what he did for Mississippi State because, you know, he, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but he was, a, he produced, you know, yards like crazy for Mississippi State. And he was really good for Mississippi State whenever he was playing for him. And uh, then, of course, just he found his voice um, and wanted to impact the lives of people and, more ways than just football. So he decided to express that voice and got a uh, help to get that started or, you know, helped that movement of getting the state flag taken down. And, um, you know, and then after that, he quit the football team after about three weeks, I think him and Mike Leach had some issues. Um, didn't see eye to eye really. And, you know, he was one of part of that mass exodus whenever it was like 20 people that quit the team in the last, like the first three or four weeks right when things got tough against Arkansas and Kentucky and stuff like that, when the offense wasn't really doing well. Um, so I think, honestly, I think the fan base is pretty torn. There's people that still like him and are going to support him because he's a Mississippi State guy. But uh, there's a lot of people that uh, that don't like him at all. And I, I think that's more of because, one, he opted out, or two, uh, the state flag changed because there's a lot of people that are still very passionate about that down here. But uh, also, people, no matter who you are, you can you can sit here and think um, just from the reactions that you've seen with Elijah Moore and that I've seen with Kylan Hill. You know, I would think that if, uh, you know, if if Dak Prescott was here, and he had just won the Heisman and all of a sudden, you know, they won the national championship and the next year. He opts out like people. I don't know. People still like him. You know, I, I think people are very weirdly passionate about this whole opting out thing. People care a little it's weird coming from me as a sports writer saying this people care a little too much about sports um, when it comes to that aspect, because they're, they don't like to, that these kids are trying to prepare for their future or trying to avoid illness to uh, be safe from a pandemic. And they are, uh, if you're not on the football team, whenever they want you to be on the football team, they're not supporting you. Well, I think by the time Elijah Moore and many others uh, opted out, uh, across college football, it, it was no longer about the pandemic and it was no longer about safety. And that's where I think uh, the, the good intentions of the NCAA uh, kind of got abused uh, in, in some ways. Um, but look, guys leaving before a bowl game, this is not new. It was new in the sense that, uh, that Elijah Moore and Kenny Yaboa opted out with one regular season game remaining. Uh, and you can argue in, in what was what, like a five-point loss uh, at LSU, a high-scoring loss. Uh, uh, you can argue that they would have made a difference. One touchdown, you know, and, and they win the game. You know, one possession extended, one 
you know, keep the ball away from LSU. Yeah, they, they could have made an impact. And Ole Miss could have won that game. Uh, I don't like the opt-out thing. I look at that and I think, couldn't you hang around for one more game? You know, uh, but I do note that that game was December 19th. And in a regular year, uh, by that time, uh, the guys who were going to opt out for the bowl games, they were already gone. You know, the season was already over. You were in right. that uh, you were in that interim period between regular season and bowl game, a time when a lot of guys really do turn their attention to the draft and, and that sort of thing. But I think you are 100 percent uh, right in how these fans, many fans, not all, maybe not even the majority. Maybe this is that uh, vocal minority, but many fans just you know, they will respond about Elijah Moore in a way that says those first uh, th- those eight games never happened. You know, uh, it, it's just amazing how quickly you know that is uh, forgotten or discarded. But uh, look, the guy led the nation in receiving yards per game and in receptions per game. Okay, he was better in those categories. Pretty pretty important categories for a receiver yards per game, catches per game. He was better than the Heisman Trophy winner. But you didn't hear uh, Elijah Moore's name in that conversation. It was all about uh, Devontae Smith. That's fine. He had a great season. Uh, He was in the hype machine. He played for the right team, and they won games. And those are things that you have to do uh, to really be uh, in contention for the Heisman Trophy. But uh, listen, uh, Elijah Moore – he told us after pro day that he's hoping to be the first overall pick. Well, I kind of wrote that off as the bluster of athletes. Uh, and I'm glad that he's confident and I'm glad that he has the work ethic that he talks about. And he does, I, I know how hard he works. I don't think that's going to equate to him being the first overall pick, but I was uh, in a conference call with Todd McShay of ESPN uh, when he discussed the draft with uh, a number of, uh, of media and, Here's what he had to say about uh, Elijah Moore. And I couldn't get in a question about everybody. Didn't have time. But I asked him about uh, Royce Newman as well. Here's uh, here's Todd McShay. Hey, Todd, you were talking about uh, tiers of receivers. What tier do you see for Ole Miss's Elijah Moore? And also from Ole Miss, if you would comment on Royce Newman and if you think his versatility will be an impact for him in the draft. Yeah, with, with Moore, I, I think – He's kind of, I want to say the second tier, if you will. I mean, I put, I put Kyle Pitts in the, in the first tier as just kind of a, a pass catcher. Um, but going with Devontae Smith and, and uh, Jalen Waddell and then, uh, and then and Jamar Chase is probably going to be the first wide receiver off the board. Um, then it, it goes to Kadarius Toney from Florida. And I, I think that second tier is where you're gonna you're gonna see more come off the board. He is so quick. And he's undersized, just like uh, Rondell Moore, who we talked about before from from Purdue. But um, but he is so explosive. I mean, you, you saw. I think he ran a what was it four two eight in his his forty yard dash. And yeah, he's, he's five. I don't know five eight somewhere in that range, one hundred and eighty ish pounds. But he is so quick, so explosive after the catch. And, um, and I think he has a chance to be a really good slot receiver in the NFL. Uh, so I put him in that second tier, as I said, with, with Kadarius Toney, Rondell Moore, Tutu Atwell, 
Uh, Terrace Marshall, who's a bigger receiver, uh, different from the other guys, but he's definitely in that second tier, somewhere in the top 50 overall. But it wouldn't shock me if he went late in the first because of you know, how, how many teams are looking for these receivers who can create and, and make plays after the catch. And, and uh, Royce Newman, you mentioned, he, you know, 6'5 and a half, 310 pounds. I have a, a day three grade on him. I, he, he does well in, the, in you know, zone blocking and, and gets his hands in. He's a pretty good technician. Um, I don't know that he's the best athlete, but he's, uh, but he's, he's, a, he's I think, going to be a good backup in the league and has a chance to develop into a starter if he's in the right system. That was ESPN draft analyst uh, Todd McShay. Uh, you know it would be great, uh, Dalton, to see uh, Elijah Moore taken in the first round because I think that would be, uh, you know, that, that would say, hey, that work ethic is important. Uh, we saw what you accomplished uh, in college, and, and that is important. But the draft really isn't about what you accomplished in college. Uh, the draft in any sport is not about production at the college level. It's what these executives think they can create in you. It's potential. The draft is about potential and you know what kind of professional player they think they can help you become. Uh, and I see uh, more times than not, I see Elijah Moore projected uh, for day two. Uh, he could sneak into the first round, as you heard from, uh, from McShay there. Uh, there are a lot of receivers uh, in the draft, pass catchers, he calls them. Um, because he puts a, a tight end, Kyle Pitts from Florida, up there in his tier one as well. But there also are a lot of teams looking for those guys, a lot of, a lot of teams looking for players who can catch and create, and that's something that uh, Elijah does really well. Uh, Kenny Yeboa looking like a, a day two draftee for Ole Miss, maybe a third or fourth round. Uh, the grad transfer from Temple had a great year at tight end. And, Royce Newman, I hope that he is correct and that his versatility, uh, his ability to play all positions along the line, hope that works for Royce and that he gets drafted sometime uh, as well. Uh, we'll see. Draft is coming up April the 24th, folks. We'll, uh, we'll talk more about that uh, in the days ahead. That'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, the podcast that talks SEC through the lens of Mississippi. Check out our work at djournal.com. Find that drop-down menu on the left. Scroll down to the Ole Miss and Mississippi State pages and watch the stories flow. You can find us on Facebook as well. Ole Miss discussion with Parrish Alford. Mississippi State discussion with Dalton Middleton. Lots of good things in those groups. Thanks for being with us, folks. Come back and join us tomorrow. <laughs>